Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Hey everybody, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be on this planet. Welcome to your Tuesday. My name is Mark Daly and welcome to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One racing. Well, hey, a week has passed. I am feeling better. I decided after several days that I was indeed not suffering from allergies, but rather I was suffering from a rather nasty late spring cold, which had knocked me on off my feet for a couple of days. But I persevered, I managed to make it through, made it to the weekend, but even the weekend was a bit of a struggle. But it's Monday here on the west coast of Canada in Vancouver, Monday night actually, and I'm feeling full of energy for once. First time in about a week, and it is nice to be feeling back to normal again. And what a busy week it has been in Formula One. Lots of news to talk about as we get ready here in the run-up to the Canadian Grand Prix. And yeah, I know I'm in Canada, uh, but unfortunately, I'm on the West Coast. The uh, The Canadian Grand Prix, of course, takes place in Montreal, Circuit Gilles Villeneuve, which for me is a long way away. <laughs> so sadly, I will not be able to go attend in, per- in person, but I will be able to watch live for once because it comes on at a very... Nice time of day, late morning, lunchtime here on the West Coast, and that doesn't get uh, any better than watching Formula One at a decent time for once, rather than having to record it on my PVR and uh, watch it uh, after the fact, because I love Formula One. However, I do not like getting up at 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning to watch a Grand Prix. I'll make exceptions from time to time, but yeah, 5 a.m., I don't do 5 a.m. on Sundays. I do it if I get up during the week because I'm getting paid. But hey, that's a different story. But let's talk about what's happening in Formula One right now. There's uh, quite a lot of interesting stories going around uh, the, the F1 paddock at the moment. And the the first one is, uh, well, the ongoing, I don't want to call it a saga, but the continuing story about uh, Liberty Media looking for new venues to host uh, Grand Prix. And of course, uh, a couple, several weeks ago, they came to an understanding with the city of Miami, Florida, to uh, host a, a Grand Prix there. So that uh, looks like it's going to go ahead. We've seen a bunch bunch of different, well, not different, but we've seen a couple of uh, proposed track uh, layouts there. And there's also been some talk about uh, (laughs) lawsuits between residents and supporters of the the Grand Prix there. But anyways, Liberty Media boss Chase Carey has outlined the potential or the criteria that they're looking for, for any potential F1 venues uh, that they must meet in the future if they want to host a race there. So Kerry, he wants these different circuits and these cities. He wants them to strike a balance between what he calls great racing and 
a location that has what he calls global appeal. Well, obviously, great racing. Of course, who doesn't want to see exciting racing like we saw um, in several times, not just this uh, past weekend? I still think that the Monaco Grand Prix was exciting. I know a lot of you uh, disagree with that, but hey, <laughs> we've been there, done that. Anyways, uh, but the the second part, what uh, what Kerry's going on about is that he wants, quote unquote, magical cities and magical countries that will intrigue and fascinate the world. So, well, yeah, I can see the appeal of having a, a Grand Prix in Miami. And also, there's still that story going around that uh, we're getting inching closer, if you want to call it that, to a Vietnamese Grand Prix that might, uh, I don't know when it's going to start, maybe 2020, somewhere around there. So we'll wait and see. But definitely both of those are exotic uh, and different locations. And also, uh, it's interesting, uh, Hockenheim, which has been the, the the home of the German Grand Prix for quite a while, they sometimes split it between there and the Nürburgring, which I've been I've been to both uh, circuits uh, for DTM and Formula One, both fantastic venues. But uh, Hockenheim in Germany and Spa-Francorchamps in Belgium, they both have their contracts expire at the end of this year. And Hockenheim, they've been looking to get a new deal because the, the, the one that they currently have, which was negotiated under uh, Kerry's predecessor, the M- Infamous and the notorious Bernie Ecclestone has put a, a huge financial burden on the Germans to to host it there. And remember, it's not all that long ago since the German Grand Prix was cancelled because they just were not able to to put it on. So it uh, remains to be seen. But uh, Kerry remains committed to uh, F1's historic European races, uh, even though they are looking at uh, different uh, places, not just in Europe but uh, around the globe. And obviously, I think that uh, a German Grand Prix. And the Belgian Grand Prix are at Spa are two of the uh, iconic uh, races on the calendar. Although I, I must admit, I don't really like the new Hockenheim ring. I prefer the old one, but uh, of course, there wasn't really too much you could see. Because when I went to, to watch uh, DTM a number of years ago, you sit there and you have that nice twisty uh, section where they come into the stadium and they come around and then back onto the pit straight, hang a right, and then they disappear into the woods for a couple of minutes. <laughs> so spectators wise it wasn't the friendliest but hey i guess that's progress for you and if it uh, gets more people out to the circuit and creates a better atmosphere then i don't really have too much of an argument with that but on a related note uh, Total Wolf, the team principal at uh, Mercedes, believes that uh, the hosting income, the, the the new financial model that uh, F1 is proposing for hosting Grand Prix, is not sustainable, and uh, he believes that Liberty Media will find it difficult to maintain the current level income from race hosting fees. So the new proposed Miami Grand Prix will feature a risk and uh, a revenue and risk sharing model, and it has prompted the organizer organizers for Baku and Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan. Come on, Mark, get it together. <laughs> Difficult word up for a Monday. It was a busy day today, guys. Anyways, the anyways the race organizers for Baku and Hockenheim, they've been publicly saying that they want to improve the, the financial terms of their deals. Of course, that's been an ongoing saga with Silverstone and the British Grand Prix for gosh, what, a year, year and a half now? It seems like that's been been going on for for quite a while. Anyways, uh, the teams are concerned that if race fees drop, then revenues will also decrease. And then, of course, if the, the, the revenues decrease, then there'll be less profit for the F1 teams to share in. And uh, Toto has said he's not sure that the new business model is sustainable in the long term, but he did concede that some of Ecclestone's deals in the, in the past left certain race organizers in difficult uh, financial positions. But I mean, I mean, you got to give credit to Bernie. He knew how to get these deals done and he knew how 
how to maximize and squeeze every last penny out of it. But, uh, of course, uh, it did make things difficult. Um, I mean, obviously, Silverstone, Hockenheim, <laughs> which we just were talking about, are, are two examples. And uh, Toto also admitted that uh, in order to uh, offset the loss in revenue in this new risk revenue sharing model, that they'll have to, or F1 will have to grow in other areas such as digital markets, broadcast deals, and develop maybe previously untapped forms or brand new revenue streams. So... Formula One, I, I think it's fair to say that under Bernie, which was a one-man show and no criticism there. I mean, what Bernie Ecclestone did over, was it four, 40 years, 50 years as a, the top guy in Formula One or when he was back as a team principal, one of the main players for decades is nothing short of impressive. But hey, it was time for a change and uh, Liberty Media have got their own ideas and if they can make it uh, more... Marketable, more appealing to a, a bigger audience and a wider audience, then hey, why not? I mean, that's uh, their prerogative as the commercial rights holder to do. So last week on the podcast, it seemed that most of the news was about Red Bull racing. And guess what? This week, most of the news, again, it's about, <laughs> it's about Red Bull racing. And honestly, after several years of basically Mercedes in the, in the headlines and a little bit of a Ferrari from time to time, having some, uh, some, somebody else making headlines that is not the Mercedes or Ferrari is honestly, it's quite welcome news. And Daniel Ricardo, who uh, won the uh, Monaco Grand Prix about uh, a week and a half ago, has said that one more win before the summer break would make him a title outsider for the 2018 World Drivers' Champion uh, Championship. Well, that's that's a bit of a, a bold statement uh, by Ricardo. And I kind of think, well, I, I mean, there is a little bit of truth to that, I suppose. I mean, when you look at the, the top three teams, no surprise. I mean, it's, it's uh, Mercedes, it's Ferrari, and the outsider there is Red Bull. Obviously, the, the Renault engine that they have powering their car, or the Tag Heuer-branded Renault engine that they have powering their car, is not as powerful as either the Mercedes or Ferrari engines, but they have a very good chassis, and Red Bull have proved uh, over the, uh, the the season so far that they've uh, they are willing to make some bold decisions when it comes to strategy and tactics. I mean, look at the double stack that they pulled in China that helped uh, Ricardo win that race, put him in a very good position to win that one. Unfortunately, Max Verstappen tangled with Sebastian Vettel and robbed him of the opportunity to perhaps win that race, but at least I think uh, robbed uh, Red Bull of a double podium. But they have a very good car, and uh, we saw in uh, in Monaco it was the class of the field. The Ferrari was a little bit uh, behind. Nobody could match uh, Ricardo's pace in qualifying, at least in the race itself. Obviously, with uh, Danny Rick suffering that MGUK uh, failure, what was it about lap twenty of seventy eight? Meant that he went for over fifty laps with uh, an underpowered car that uh, he managed to pilot around the tight and twisty streets of Monaco, around the Principality, and win that. It was absolutely fantastic. But uh, yeah, Ricardo obviously winning China and Monaco, and he's third in the championship at the moment on 72 points, and only Lewis Hamilton and Sebastian Vettel are ahead. Lewis, of course, leading it, and Sebastian is about, what about, 14, 15 points behind. So Daniel Ricardo sitting very nicely. But Red Bull, they could win again. Obviously, there are some quicker Grand Prix coming up uh, between now and the summer break at the end of July. And just on a bit of a related note here, 
I am really looking forward to the next month and a bit of sport. Obviously, we have the FIFA World Cups kicking off in, what, about 10 days from now? That's going to be amazing. Always love the World Cup. I'm a soccer guy just as much as I am a Formula One and motorsport guy, so I'm really looking forward to that. But then that epic, epic month, that epic July in Formula One coming up when we have three back-to-back Grand Prix. Amazing. I'm really looking forward to that. But of course, one of those is going to be the Hungarian Grand Prix at the Hungaro Ring. And that is a circuit that is very similar in characteristics to Monaco. Obviously, it's not quite as compact, but uh, it has uh, very similar characteristics to it, even though it's uh, laid out in uh, in the countryside outside of Budapest. And uh, that's a track that uh, that Red Bull have... Um, They've done pretty good on over the years. Obviously, Danny Rick didn't do well so or didn't do so well last year in 2017, after Max Verstappen collided with him on the opening lap, destroyed the side of his car, ruptured his uh, radiators, and knocked uh, poor Danny Rick out at that time. But uh, that is obviously another track where, if uh, Monaco's anything to go by, he could do. Ricardo or Verstappen could obviously uh, make a run for pole position. And as we saw last year with uh, Vettel, who was uh, leading that race and had an issue with the steering in his Ferrari SF70H, that if you get in front, it's very much like Monaco. It's a difficult place to pass at times. Well, most of the time, I should be uh, quite upfront about that, that uh, we could see something uh, similar if uh, Red Bull and uh, Verstappen and Ricardo get out front. So we'll see. They've also, I mean, it it hasn't been all sunny. It hasn't been all roses for Red Bull. They've had the, their issues this year. Obviously, Verstappen has had a number of incidents uh, with uh, just keeping his car on the track and having some collisions and uh, all sorts of other issues in the opening half dozen races of the, the year. Of course, Bahrain was one to forget uh, for a, a Red Bull when uh, both of them, they had a double DNF, both cars, both Verstappen uh, and uh, Ricardo expired roughly at the same time. Ricardo because of mechanical failures and then uh, Max because he tangled with uh, Lewis Hamilton. So, you know, they've had their problems, but Daniel Ricardo looking very good and also a very good position to be in as he is out of contract at the end of 2018 and setting himself up very nicely to either re-sign with Red Bull or perhaps, and who knows, it's not a stretch of the imagination to see him go to Ferrari or Mercedes. Who knows how likely it is, but I can imagine it. It could uh, it could happen, so we'll have to wait and see. Now, moving along to other Red Bull news. Christian Bahorner, the team boss, has said that the focus is on the 2019 engine deal, and that has priority over a new contract for Daniel Ricciardo. So they have uh, decided to prioritize this in fairness. Uh, so both the team and the Ricardo, the driver, have an idea which engine will be powering the car for, for next year. Uh, Christian Horner has said that they, Red Bull, that is, would like to keep Ricardo and Verstappen as their two drivers for 2019, but uh, it's by no means a, a, a done deal where we don't even really know how far, if at all, they've had any discussions to this point in time. But uh, just looking at the the engine front, the engine issue that they have, Renault had been pressuring Red Bull Racing to make a decision on uh, who they're going to choose for engines for 2019 before May 15th, which is obviously come and gone, today being the 7th of June. But Horner insisted that in reality, the team had until the end of this month, the end of June, to choose between Renault or Honda. So both Renault and Honda will have upgraded power units for this weekend's Canadian Grand Prix. But Honda is being a little bit what they're calling 
careful, more careful with their upgrade package at uh, at Circuit Gilles Villeneuve than they had originally planned. And I think this is a really savvy move. And the more they think about it, the the more I really like it, how they managed to wangle that whole deal last year to get um, Honda engines for Toro Rosso, which is their, their, their junior team, obviously, and how, well, McLaren just could not dump Honda fast enough. Uh, obviously, they had uh, <laughs> their fair share of problems, but obviously... They were not going to get a Mercedes or Ferrari power in uh, in Red Bull. So, what are the the other options? Obviously, it's Renault, or it's going to be Honda. And what way to to find out which is going to be the best of the two engines? Then to basically try both of them out. They know what the the Renault is capable of. I mean, they they've had a, a partnership with them for many many years. Obviously, back before the the new hybrid turbo era, which came into effect in 2014. But uh, what with having Hondas in Toro Rosso, they have full access to all the data from from that team, being obviously their their junior team, as I just mentioned. And I love that. I think that's a, was a very smart uh, bit of, bit of business for them. And whatever they choose to do, be it uh, dump Renault and take uh, Honda on board as their new engine partner for next year, they'll be doing it from what I think is a, a position of strength because uh, they obviously will have all the data and they'll they'll know exactly what is the uh, the the best choice for them. So it's going to be fascinating to watch. I mean, obviously, there's still a couple of weeks to go, and it'll be interesting to see how both of these teams, the Red Bull and Toro Rosso, perform at Montreal this weekend. And Toro Rosso, they've really been (laughs) nowhere. I mean, Pierre Gasly had an outstanding Grand Prix when he piloted the Toro Rosso to fourth in Bahrain, but I kind of can't help but wonder if that really set some unrealistic expectations for them and uh, it's been pretty tough obviously he was taken out by Roman Grosjean at the beginning of the Spanish Grand Prix when Roman did whatever he did and took out <laughs> Gasly and Nico Hulkenberg on the uh, on the opening lap but it would be nice to see if they could turn things around and get back to a little bit better than we've seen in the past several races and of course, it hasn't been a real, a really solid relationship between Renault and Red Bull since the uh, the new hybrid turbo era. They've been quite critical of them at times, and obviously they they have been quite underpowered when compared to Mercedes and uh, Ferrari. And uh, again, Ricardo he is very fortunate to win that Monaco Grand Prix the uh, the other week, despite having that MGUK uh, power unit failure during the race. And if it was any other circuit other than Monaco then uh, obviously I think that uh, the, the Sharks were circling and Ricardo could not have lasted at the front for over 50 laps like he did. So that was uh, not a question or not only an issue of uh, a magnificent drive by a very good driver, but also some very fortunate circumstances where he was not uh, put at a big of a disadvantage as he would as probably the other 20 circuits on the uh, the Formula 1 calendar this year. Well, with maybe the exception of the Hangaro ring, but we'll see. Anyways, on that note, Adrian Newey of Red Bull has confirmed that Ricardo will have Canadian Grand Prix grid penalties because of the aforementioned MGUK failure in Monaco. And despite early optimism that they might be able to salvage and repair the unit, that is in fact not the case. So he'll be getting a, a new one, which is his third of the season, meaning that he'll be handed uh, grid penalties of some sort. Um, usually it's a, a 10-place grid penalty. And uh, well, we know Danny Rick can win a race 
not starting on this front row of the grid as we saw in China, but say he uh, qualifies on pole position, he gets a 10 grid uh, place penalty. So he's down to 10th at uh, the very best. And I love Danny Rick, but I don't know. (laughs) Barring some miraculous circumstances, then it seems unlikely that Ricardo will win the Canadian Grand Prix this weekend. Now, looking ahead to the future of Formula One, and Pirelli is pushing for bigger wheels for the new uh, regulations and specifications that will come into effect for 2021. And they want to switch from 13-inch to 18-inch wheels under the new regulations that are being developed by F1 Motorsport Director Ross Braun. Now, FIA Race Director Charlie Whiting has hinted that the the change is pretty much a certainty. And these bigger wheels have been pushed by Pirelli over the past several years. And they argue that the 18-inch wheels are more road-relevant and therefore better for more marketing and, I guess, appeal to the public in general. I don't know. It doesn't really make a big difference to me. We are They already use these 18-inch wheels in Formula E and uh, endurance racing. So I don't know. It's not a big deal to me. But if they want to go that way, obviously that will mean they'll have to redesign suspension and other parts uh, and components on the car. But it seems, interestingly enough, that most of the teams in Formula 1 are in favor of this switch. And I can't remember that they all seem to be in favor of something unless they all seem to be agreeing to disagree on whatever the topic du jour was. So that's a a welcome breath of fresh air. And uh, most of them want to see the wheels introduced for 2020, but practically speaking, it just makes sense to put it off another year because 2021 is going to be completely different. We don't know how different yet because we've only seen some hints and some some suggestions here and there along the way over the past uh, several months. But it just makes sense that with uh, Formula One completely changing for that year, that why not? If you're going to change everything else, why not just put the bigger wheels on, the 18-inch wheels on for 2021? So we'll wait and see, but it looks like it's going that way. And uh, Pirelli, just uh, as a little side note, they have the uh, exclusive contract to be the manufacturer and tire supplier of Formula One. And that deal runs until the end of the 2019 season. So moving away from Red Bull a little bit and Pirelli a lot, I suppose, (laughs) Lewis Hamilton has said that the Ferrari SF71H is the best car in the field in uh, Formula One's three-way battle between Mercedes, Ferrari, and Red Bull. And he also admitted that he believes that Sebastian Vettel is the best of the uh, the top drivers and is uh, experiencing in, uh, in the best form at the moment. And I think this is a very interesting comment from uh, from Lewis, who currently sits atop the World Drivers' uh, Championship at the moment with a 14-point over Sebastian. And after six races, it's been uh, a split three-way. Two for Hamilton, two for Vettel, and two for Daniel Ricciardo. And Hamilton said that uh, Ferrari has been uh, the fastest and performing best all season, but, and this was the the big but, that uh, Mercedes has been able to take advantage and capitalize when Ferrari have made mistakes. And uh, they've uh, they've done well at times, obviously. Uh, And uh, Spain, I think, was a little bit concerning for people who are not fans of uh, Mercedes. And let's face it, there are a lot of Mercedes fans in in this day and age, but that was an absolutely dominant weekend, not just from uh, Lewis Hamilton, but from Mercedes in general. Obviously, they uh, they won that race, Lewis and uh, Valtteri Bottas uh, coming home in first and second, and uh, it was a very dominant and uh, impressive weekend. 
So we'll wait and see what happens. But uh, he believes that uh, the the Ferrari is uh, the more well-rounded uh, car. And I thought it was interesting in one of the interviews before Monaco, how uh, Lewis kind of explained away the uh, the lack of pace that uh, the Mercedes W09 had around the streets of uh, Monaco, just saying that, uh, of course, it is a, a challenge for the engineers and the designers to come up with a car that is a, a fast uh, the the fastest car in uh, or on all of the circuits, and of course it's going to be a, a compromise uh, to try and design a car that will perform uh, well on all of the tracks. But of course, as we've seen over the past couple of years, the Monaco is not really suited to the the Mercedes, at least of the the, the past two seasons. But I can tell you one thing: while Lewis Hamilton pretty much a guarantee he's going to win a race or two or three or four or five, maybe more the rest of this year. One team that's not going to win a race this year is Williams. And again, they're in the news for all the wrong reasons. As uh, they announced earlier this week, the uh, departure of their head of aerodynamics, Dirk De Beer. And this comes only a month after chief designer Ed Wood left the team. And uh, De Beer, he joined uh, Williams last year from Ferrari, but left abruptly and very abruptly after the opening six Grand Prix of the year in which Williams were pretty much the worst team (laughs) in all six races. So uh, over the past several years, uh, Williams have uh, opted for a low drag model, which meant, uh, or design, which meant that they were faster on the, uh, the faster circuits. Uh, But uh, this year they'd uh, opted for a more rounded uh, aerodynamic package, which would mean that they would uh, in theory, at least, uh, be better suited to to more races rather than just the the high speed circuits. Or circuits. Obviously, the car is badly underperformed, and uh, yeah, Dirk De Beer did not uh, really figure positively in uh, the design of the uh, of the, the the Williams for this year, and he's out of a job. So this means that uh, the storied F one team has still not won a race since Pastor Maldonado won the twenty twelve Spanish Grand Prix. And shocking when you think. The record that that team has over the years, all the races that they won, the world champion drivers that uh, that have driven a, a Williams and won world championships driving their cars and the constructors championships that they've won, to see how that they've fallen off and really disappeared off the uh, off the map, basically, and especially how far they've really dropped off over the past couple of years is nothing short of shocking. And just looking a little bit away from Formula One to start wrapping this thing up for the moment, Fernando Alonso was quickest in the first Le Mans test this past weekend. He, uh, of course, is uh, preparing for um, the the, the 24-hour Le Mans, which goes on the 16th and 17th of this month. Obviously, Fernando is looking to be only the second driver to win Motorsports Triple Crown. He had a, a crack at Indy last year, the Indy 500, retired very close to the end of the race. So obviously Indy remains on the list for Fernando, but he was uh, the quickest in his team and he's uh, partnering with uh, Kazuki Nakajima and Sebastian Buemi in the Toyota. But not only was he quickest out of the the three Toyota drivers, but he was 0.6 of a second faster than anyone else at the test session. And of course, uh, as I mentioned, uh, he is trying to win the triple crown. Only Graham Hill has ever won Monaco, Indy, and Le Mans, and uh, there's a, a whole list of uh, very famous drivers, including Tazio Nuvolari and Bruce McLaren, who uh, competed and uh, completed 
two of the three legs of the, uh, the the triple crown. So it is in a very, very elusive thing to try and win. Several guys have come close. Fernando, can he do it? Who knows? But again, uh, he's having a, a very impressive uh, testing uh, for Le Mans so far. And he was very in- uh, impressive at Indy last year. He was impressive in the rookie day and qualifying in the race itself. And uh, Fernando, he still says he loves to race. He's still a racer at heart. And if anybody could do it, I think Fernando Alonso has a very good shot. Jensen Button, maybe not so much. Jensen is also going to be racing at uh, Le Mans this year. He's also going to be making his debut like his former McLaren teammate, uh, Fernando. But uh, he said that uh, his first laps of Le Mans were, quote unquote, disconcerting and felt like, quote unquote, another world anything he'd ever experienced before in motor racing. So Button's team was also bothered by several mechanical issues during the test, but at least on that front, they do have one more test session before the race goes in a couple of weeks. And well, we'll see how it goes. I would like to come back in a couple of days to preview the Canadian Grand Prix. Uh, It is the last major league soccer match of, uh, well, the first half of the season that goes Friday night uh, here in Vancouver for the Vancouver Whitecaps. Obviously I will be there. That's uh, my other, the other thing that I do obviously is one of the uh, accredited media. I'm at uh, most matches and as much as I love going to watch and cover Major League Soccer in person. I'm not so much of a fan uh, of doing it on a Friday night. Uh, it kind of gets in the way of what I like to do on this program to a certain extent. But hey, I guess getting the the, the football match out of the way early and then having uh, the World Cup break for the next couple of weeks is a good thing and then can enjoy the Canadian Grand Prix uh, thereafter. But I'm hoping to at least uh, sometime between now and then squeeze out a short preview for the Canadian Grand Prix and wow, what what can we say about what happened last year? Obviously, it was all Lewis Hamilton. He uh, tied Ayrton Senna's pole positions with 65 in what was, uh, again, a very impressive uh, weekend. And Lewis, I mean, I was just looking at his stats. Uh, it doesn't seem like that long ago. Obviously, the year has really flown since uh, the last Canadian Grand Prix. And he had 65 at that time. And it seemed only a couple of weeks later when he tied Michael Schumacher's uh, career polls of 68. Lewis currently sitting on 74 career pole positions. Last one he recorded was only a couple of weeks ago at Barcelona for the Spanish Grand Prix. Sebastian Vettel is uh, fourth on the current list with 53. But last year it was all about Lewis Hamilton and Mercedes after a very... I'd say muted and disappointing and calm, quiet opening to the 2017 season and a disastrous Monaco Grand Prix. Mercedes buckled down for the the two weeks between Monaco and Canada and they got it turned around because once they won that race, it was really the turning point in the season. Of course, after that, they went to Azerbaijan and uh, when uh, Sebastian Vettel felt that uh, Lewis had brake tested him and then smashed into the side of Lewis's car behind the safety car. 
And that's, that's where it all really changed between Canada and Azerbaijan. And of course, Lewis went on to win the Formula One World Championship for a fourth time. But last year, he went on to win the race 20 seconds ahead of his teammate, Valtteri Bottas, and Daniel Ricciardo rounded out the top three. I believe that was the race that Ricardo and Sir Patrick Stewart shared in a shoey on the podium at Circuit Jules Villeneuve. Sebastian Vettel, of course, finished in fourth, Sergio Perez in fifth, and Esteban Ocon finished in sixth, which was a very good result for Force India last year at the Canadian Grand Prix. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it for now. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to this podcast. And if you enjoy the show, please do Kevin myself a big favor. If you could uh, go over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, or wherever you download this podcast, and please leave us a five-star review and a rating, a review, whatever you want. It helps uh, keep this podcast uh, visible so others can find it. And uh, we'd really appreciate it if you could uh, take the time out and do that for us anyways like i said it's time to wrap this thing up if you want to get in touch with me the easiest way is on twitter you can find us there at scuderia f1 pod or you can find my own personal twitter at mark jr daily and that's daily with a l-e-y at the end and if you want to send us some more detailed feedback by all means do that and you can email us at scuderia f1 pod at gmail.com That's it. That's a wrap. I'm out of here. I'll talk to you again soon. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us, sportspodcastingnetwork.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?